0: I love watching it. We've got this at home, and every time, I can't get the kids to watch it as much as I want to watch it, but I love watching it because, uh, one, there's something about when when someone puts something in a, in a way that a child can understand, it kind of cuts through all of our adult stuff that we've let pile up, right? Uh, because a lot of times we think we hear things more. I know that. I got that. I've been hearing it for years, but when it's presented differently, kind of under our radar, if you will, it kind of cuts through. So, uh, this morning, what I want to do is uh, we, we kind of look at these uh, last few verses in Mark chapter 15. I just want to pull really two things out of it, and then I want us to respond to that this morning. So over the last three, uh, two weeks, uh, we've looked at the death of Christ. And, and the first week, we, we looked at the fact that we were in need of a substitute. We needed someone to take our place. And so what we had, we had learned was that uh, because Jesus took our place, we have a place. That it was necessary for Jesus to take that place in order for us to have a place. And then last week, we, we wrestled with the question, did God really have to do it this way? Did He, did he really have to let Christ die? Couldn't He have done uh, things differently, secured our salvation differently? And, and, and the question we kind of put out there was, why did God not save Jesus from the cross? And what we, uh, what we saw last week was, God did not save Jesus so that He could save us. Right? And so we've been really kind of digging into the implications that the death of Christ has for us. And that, that first week that we kind of started looking at it, I said, this is something that has the potential to change the trajectory of your life. And it does. Because without the death of Christ, without a substitute, with, if God had chose to withhold Christ from going to the cross, you and I would not have the hope that is available to us. You and I would not have the relationship uh, that God has created us for so as we read through these verses this morning, I just want to pull out two things from verses 37 through 39 here this morning. But Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. In the other Gospels, this is where uh, some of them will record that he says, It is finished. Verse 38. And the temple curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. In the temple in Jerusalem, there was a couple of curtains. Right? And we're not, we're not exactly sure which curtain this was. It was one of two curtains. It could have been the curtain that was kind of more on the outer part uh, that, that separated what would be a section for the, the Israel men to go into the court of the Jews. Right? This would have been something that as you're walking into the temple, you would see this large curtain. And if you were a Gentile or if you were a female, you would know that that curtain is your barrier. You don't go past that curtain. It it, it certainly could have been that curtain. You go a little further into the temple, and the way that Herod's temple was built, each uh, further part that you go into was a little higher up. And so it's also possible that the curtain that's being seen is the one on the innermost part of the temple. The one that separates what was called the holy place for the holiest of holies. The place where inside of that, behind that curtain covenant, this box that that God had had Moses uh, make, and inside that box were certain things that represented the way God had acted and provided for his people over the years, and on the top of that box was what was called the mercy seat, the place where once a year the high priest would come in, and he would offer a sacrifice, and that's where he would sprinkle the blood, and that's where the presence of God physically dwelled among his people. It was called the place of propitiation, and we saw last week. That's what Jesus did on our behalf. So one of these curtains was ripped from top to bottom, which is significant because what it's, what it's indicating, what Mark's trying to get us to see is that this is God reaching into creation and acting. And maybe you remember back from the very beginning of Mark uh, when we saw Jesus being baptized. And he was baptized, he brought under the water, and then he was brought out. And as he was being brought out of the water from the, the sky, it, Mark says the sky was torn open. And a voice from heaven spoke, and the spirit came down like a dove. Mark starts his gospel in Jesus' ministry with God reaching into creation, tearing open something that blocks us from him. And now he's wrapping up his gospel, and he's showing us something else is being ripped open, torn apart, ripped into. What, What this curtain is representing as it's being torn from top to bottom, not bottom to top, this is not something man's doing, this is something God's doing. God is breaking down the barriers between humanity and God. He's paving the way for access to God, where prior to that, you had to go through a priest. And now because of the death of Christ, that access is being granted. And he's also at the same time that that, that curtain being torn is is granting access and revealing access, it's also issuing judgment on man-made systems and on any attempt of our own to try to come to God. He's tearing it from the top. And he said, I'm making that access available. The second thing that we see in verse 39, now when in the centurion, so we've got this Roman soldier who's at the foot of the cross, he's guarding it, and he sees Jesus dying the way that he died. He says this, truly this man was the son of God. And that's how Mark starts his gospel too. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. At the very end, you've got someone who is a non-Jewish person, someone who you would least expect, watching this all play out and unfold. And as he watches Jesus die, and the way that he dies, he said, surely this man was the Son of God. So here's what I want to put before you this morning. When God makes access for us to him through Christ, our confession becomes that like the centurion. Surely this man is the Son of God. When, when we consider the death of Christ, how He died in our place, it was necessary for Him to die so that God can both judge our sin, take the penalty, Jesus could take the penalty for us, and then grant us access to God. That should lead us to a response of repentance and faith. Maybe for the first time where repentance is turning from something that you've previously thought about Christ. And so like this centurion, as you consider the fact that Jesus died in your place, that he was the the one who satisfied God's wrath so that you would not experience it. And so when you trust in him, you get access to God. When you consider that this is what God has done for you, it should lead to a response of repentance. Changing what you think about Christ. He's just a good man. He was a great teacher. And he really influenced the, the people around him in a good way. And he's a great moral example for us to live by. You take it from that and you put it to, surely this man was, is, the Son of God. Surely Jesus is who he claims to be and therefore what he claimed to be here to do, he must have done because as we saw in the video, he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead, and He revealed Himself to others, proving that He did accomplish what He came to do. He defeated death. He defeated sin. He broke down the barrier. So that should lead us to a response of repentance and of faith. And then if you've done that before, right, your initial time, you've repented, you've you've changed what you initially thought about Jesus, you responded with faith. Those two things, by the way, repentance and faith, are just two sides of the same coin. As you repent and you turn from what you previously thought about Christ, you respond with faith to Him. Some of you this morning, you need to go back to think about this. Not because you need to initially respond, but because you need to remember and contemplate this. As I've tried to get you to do over the last couple of weeks, is to stir you up so that something that has become so common to us, especially as we've been in church for a long time, we've grown up in church, we don't want something to be so common to us that is so magnificent, That that is so significant. Instead, I want you to think deeply this morning about how Christ took your place. That the penalty that was put on Christ was yours. And that this is how God demonstrates his love is what Paul says in the book of Romans. And he doesn't say this is how God demonstrated past tense. He says this is how God demonstrates. And when Paul writes that to the Romans, he's writing to people who have already trusted in Christ. He's not writing to people who aren't saved. He's writing to people who are saved and he's trying to get them to remember. This is how God shows his love for you. Lest you get arrogant. He died for you while you were still sinners. Paul's trying to remind him there's no one among you who was exempt from God's grace. Everyone needed it. And that's where we need to be this one. We need to preach to ourselves constantly, daily, sometimes moment by moment, that this was something we are in need of. But the the, the, the tragedy is that for most of us, what happens is initially we realize that. There's that moment. We know. We need a Savior. God breaks us down, He opens our heart, He reveals to us the gospel, and we understand our need for a Savior, and we trust and we believe. And then for a while, we, we, we really cling close to that. We hang close to that. But then we start to get away from it, and we start to live as if we didn't need that. We start to live differently, and that's what Paul would have to deal with the, the churches that he would write to later on as he say, "Hey, you started out by faith. You start out by the spirit." Keep on living that way. And many of us, we need that reminder this morning as we prepare to respond to the death of Christ. We still need to preach that to ourselves. And in fact, as we remind ourselves and as we think deeply about the death of Christ, that God did this in our place, that, that Jesus took our place, it should start to stir up for us affections toward a God who would love people who do not love Him back naturally. It should start to to change the way that we approach God because we know that God has granted us access to Him freely through Christ. So why do we go on living like we don't have it? Why do we go on living like we have to now earn God's favor and so we kind of devise lists of how we should live and when we don't measure up to that standard, we hold ourselves to that list rather than walking in the grace and the forgiveness that is freely ours in Christ. Why do we go on performing? If, if God has done something so glorious for us, and He did it while we weren't already loving Him, He did it for people who He knew were corrupt and messed up, why do we then continue to entertain sin in our life? Why do we continue to pursue things that will never satisfy? Why do we continue to take the glory of God and exchange it for something lesser than Him? These are the things we need to think about this morning as we prepare ourselves to respond. And so what we're going to do this morning in just a few moments is we've got some videos that are going to help us to contemplate these things. We've, we've got four stations set up. You've got three up here in front of you and then there's one in the back here. Any of them you're welcome to go to. When we, when you are prepared, you can come up. You can come up by yourself. You can come up with your family. If you're uh, here with friends you want to come up together, come up. Come up together. Come up however you want. Uh, and then take the, the the bread and the cup there. And then uh, after you're done, maybe go back and sit down. If you are not in a spot this morning where you're ready to respond, one, take the time. Take the time to prepare yourself. And I'm going to lead us in some of that here in just a moment. But it's possible that maybe you're not going to get to that spot this morning. Maybe, yes, you've trusted in Christ, but this morning you've got some things that are just weighing you down, some baggage, some some uh, feelings, some emotions, some grudges, and, and things like that, if, if, you, if you can't turn those over to God this morning, if you're not, not going to be able to get to, your, to a spot where you can trust God with those things, then maybe this morning what would be better for you, rather than coming up here and taking the blood, uh, the, the, the wine, and, and representing the blood, and taking the bread that represents Christ's body for you, and all of that pointing to his forgiveness for you, if you're not able to give that to someone this morning. If you're not able to offer that same forgiveness, maybe this morning the best thing for you to do is to stay where you are and let the the thinking of Christ's death on your behalf wash over you this morning. Contemplate it. Ask God's Spirit to remind you of what He's done for you. Ask His Spirit to teach you and give you understanding of how that should shape and change the way you live. Let that wash over you this morning. Rather than coming up and claiming that you believe in something that right now you're not walking in that would be a tragedy. As we consider deeply, as we think about the death of Christ, that Jesus took our place, that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we can become the righteousness of God, when we consider that, as people who placed our trust in Christ, what that should lead us to is a moment of confession, a moment of, of putting back before God and saying, these are the ways that I've not walked in that forgiveness. These are the ways that I'm not, I'm not believing you right now. That I'm not trusting you right now. These are the ways I'm not applying the death and the resurrection of Christ to my life. And so what I want to do here for a moment is we're going to just take a moment and we're going to do that. I'm going to give you that time to spend some time with the Lord confessing that. And so if you will pray with me now. What we're going to do it, it's good to be specific when you confess the sins to God. Now, as you do this, I want to remind you that in First John 1, 9, this is the promise that God gives to us, that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and He's just to forgive us our sins and then to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You're speaking to a Heavenly Father who knows everything that's going on in your life, everything that's going on in your heart. There's nothing that you're going to confess to Him, that's a surprise. There's no thought that has passed through your mind that He's not already aware of. And He's not there condemning you uh, as a God who is trying to squash you instead, as a loving and a good Father who has poured all of His wrath out towards sin. He's beckoning you to come and to receive that grace and to walk in that grace. So now, if you will, take just a moment and confess those things to you. Ask the Spirit What are those things that you need to confess this where we settle for far less than what You have created us for. That we glory in things that were never meant to satisfy or be gloried in. Things that You have created for us to enjoy, ultimately to point toward You. Instead, God, what we do is we stop and enjoy the creation more than the Creator. God, we confess that there are times where we don't walk in Your grace. Having been justified and saved by Your grace, God, there are times where we still walk and live in a way that that we believe that we need to earn your forgiveness, that we need to earn your favor. How tragic that is, God, because there's nothing in us that can earn that. Everything you did at the cross and through the life of Christ and his resurrection was to purchase what we could not provide. And then you put it in our account. grace and how your love is continually demonstrated to us as we remember the death of christ for us people who are unworthy so guys we then prepare our hearts to come and receive communion this morning as we take the bread would you remind us of your body put in our place and as we take the cup would you remind us of the blood of this new covenant this new way of relating with people through grace and through Christ. Would you remind us of that this morning? Nourish our souls this morning. Let us not be guilty of participating in a religious exercise this morning. But God, let us be true to worship as we come and we take you in. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. We've got about 10, 15 minutes to prepare and then come as you pray. when we were not loving you. To love people who are stained, corrupted because of sin. And yet, God, because of your great love, because of your grace, you didn't stand back from us. Instead, you pursued us.
1: And your love
0: overflowed, and without compromising any part of who you are, we justly dealt with ourselves and our Savior. And because he took our place, when we have access to you, let our confession be that of the centurions. that surely Jesus is the Son of God. And let us live differently because of what you've done for us. Let us not get far from leading the grace. As we start to wander, where did you bring us back in the subject of grace and let us walk in joy and pray Christ, amen. If you're able, will you please stand and I will dismiss us. Are you tired? Are you weary? Are you struggling to trust, struggling to believe? Are you wondering how you will go on? Remember this. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will will he not also give us everything we need? That's how good your loving Father is to you. So go now and walk in joy. We pray in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. See you guys next week.